Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast covering your favorite crew featuring Peter and David Go. Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host Peter Go, alongside our co-host David Go. David, what's on tap today? Yeah, we got kind of a lot to cover today, uh, a little bit varied in our content. Um, we are going to be talking about Adrian Hauser and a little bit of the state of the Brewers rotation from that angle, um, maybe how he can be a little bit more successful next year, what went wrong a little bit on that aspect. Um, we are going to talk about some of the guys that they need to add to their 40-man roster in order to be protected from the Rule 5 draft. If you're a little bit confused, that's fine. We'll explain a little bit of what that is um, and what this might entail. And then um, just a little bit of fun talk in light of um, the election that happened. There hasn't really been much fun talk about the election. <laughs> what what um, was so the election we'll for again? I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't really been on um, the news. Con- congressional uh, federal attorney or something. I don't know. <laughs> congressional federal attorney. <laughs> is that attorney? even a position? <laughs> I don't think yeah, so. <laughs> no. What was the... Oh, district judge. That was like the lowest level one. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the thing is, for... For Milwaukee area people, if you live in like Milwaukee County, there are only Democratic candidates, and if you live in Waukesha County, there are only Republican candidates. Um, it, it's not too surprising, but I, I was um, Kanye might run maybe next time in one of those positions for, for congressional federal <laughs> yeah, yeah, district yeah. judge. He might, he might. We'll see. He'll, yeah. but he'll, he'll announce it a couple days before. Anyways. Yeah, probably. And then and then nobody will know if he's actually serious. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually he was on the ballot. So I go to college in Minnesota, and he was on the ballot here in Minnesota, but he was not on the ballot in Wisconsin. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how that works. Different states and when he Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, though, um, enough with the presidential talk. That'll be towards the end. And uh, we will will not be sharing our political views, but we will be sharing uh, just some fun things about um, in light of the election. And uh, that's just kind of what we got on top for this episode. Also, as we get started, just want to mention that Devin Williams is a finalist for Rookie of the Year, and that award will be announced tonight, November 9th. So uh, be sure to turn, tune into MLB Network. Uh, that award will be announced today, and uh, we will be able to find out whether or not he did become just the third rookie to win Rookie of the Year in Brewers franchise history. Pat Listash and Ryan Braun were actually the first two. So. Devin Williams uh, could be the third. We will find out tonight. Uh, be sure to stay tuned on that. Awesome. So let's just dive in. Adrian Hauser, like David said, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive. He, he was an interesting an, an interesting season this year, unfortunately for him. Had pretty decent expectations set as uh, one of the more – I was really thinking he was going to be more one of the consistent arms the Brewers had in the rotation this year after his performance in 2019. 2019 had a solid year with a 3.72 ERA across 111 innings uh, for Hauser. At 2020, just did not go his way, uh, pitching very poorly, 5.3 ERA in just 56 innings, of course, with a shortened season. And and Hauser, you know, on we, we talked about him even being added to the postseason roster, which was a surprise, but the Brewers couldn't even trust Hauser uh, late in the season. And was certainly not what the Brewers needed or expected from him. Uh, so, David, what did you see as some ways that he could improve off of his 2020 or, or just things that he struggled with specifically, whether that's walk, walking batters, allowing a lot of home runs, those sort of things? Yeah, I thought the most interesting thing was that his strikeout per nine ratio dropped by about 2.5 Ks per nine. 
Uh, when, when you're looking at this year's numbers, you got to analyze it a little bit with a grain of salt because there is a smaller sample size. He only threw about half the innings this year as he did in 2019, but that is a pretty significant drop off. His walks per nine increased a little bit, home run per nine also a little bit. Uh, so overall, he, he did have a worse season um, just in the way that he pitched. Uh, but overall, I thought I thought that he actually was a little bit better than, uh, than he looked. Uh, so if you look at last year, his ex-WOBA, so we're getting a little bit deeper into the numbers here. For context, weighted on base average is, it is on the same scale as on base percentage, but it measures overall hitting ability. So when we're talking about this from a pitcher's perspective, we're talking about the opponents. So if I say a, pit, a pitcher's opponent's batting average was X, that means that hitters hit what, 250 off of him or whatever it may be. So this is the same, the same way. Um, average is about 325. Um, and X means that it's factored in for quality of contact also. Um, so this is a, a very analytical and high level stat that's provided by StatCast. That number actually was right around average, indicating that he was more of an average pitcher. Um, last year, that number was significantly better, but the big difference actually was the strikeout rate. Uh, his, his exit velocity against was pretty similar, and he's a guy who is going to thrive off a mix of strikeouts and soft contact. Some, some are more one or the other. We've seen that uh, with the wide variety of pitchers the Brewers have, um, but I think a lot went wrong for him. His batting average on balls in play um, against was 25 points higher, which is kind of indicating a little bit more luck on the hitter's standpoint. They actually elevated the ball um, a little bit less. He um, was able to keep the ball down a little bit more, uh, but it was really the strikeout rate. And I think that that was more a fact of hitters adjusting against him. And that's going to be going forward. I think the bigger thing there is, can he bounce back from it? Um, especially when you look at some of the stuff that he has. His four-seam fastball actually has really low spin. Spin has a pretty strong correlation with swing and miss rate, but he actually is above average in swing and miss rate. And I think figuring out some of the things, how to how to kind of use his stuff to be able to, to play up uh, from getting strikeouts and from getting weak contact is something that he's going to have to look at going forward. Yeah, you mentioned swing and miss rate and whiff rate. Do you mind uh, clarifying the difference between those two? Yeah, so that they're actually the same thing. A whiff rate um, or swing and miss rate would be um, the percentage of times on the swing that they miss. So um, I think average is around like 22%. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I know it's around there. Um, his his was actually 32% on four-seam fastballs. Okay, okay. And yeah, when I'm taking a look at Hauser's uh, pitch mix from 2019 to 2020, and also his velocity, notice his fastball was down uh, about a mile per hour on average. And slider was also down a few miles per hour, but overall seemed like he, he his velocity was down slightly. Is there any concern uh, that you would have, um, granted that it's mainly a mile per hour or less, or do you see that just as variance uh, across the number of pitches that he threw? I, I don't find that a bit concerning, especially considering the... Um, the unique season that we had he kind of built up his arm then had to just kind of lay around overall there, there were a number of other pitches that you pitchers that you saw have that same issue where their velo decreased by maybe one or two miles an hour uh, with, where we we saw that this year where we might not have seen and also normally pitchers velocities kind of pick up 
in like around May, June, and they get they usually kind of peak in that late summer range before they decline a little bit. Um, but at the same, but you you know you didn't have that this year, and it took a little bit to get built up, and so those of course those averages then are going to get skewed a little bit more. I thought I don't think that that's something to be concerned about. Got it, got it. So you mentioned some of the the, the reasons for the gap between Hauser's 2019 and 2020 stats. How do you see as some potential improvements that he could make, whether in his pitch selection, um, even potentially his velocity? I mean, that that's kind of, like you mentioned, uh, unknown whether or not that's that's really something that we, he needs to worry about. But how do you see Hauser having a successful 2021? And also, what do you think is a successful 2021 for Hauser? Well, I guess I'll first off answer that second question. I think that a successful 2021 would be being around a league average pitcher. I think that that would be pretty successful. The Brewers aren't counting on Hauser to be that number one or number two pitcher, but they are looking for him to be a dependable guy who will um, throw, you know, 160, 170 innings a year, maybe an ERA around between like four, uh, four, 4.15, somewhere around there, just kind of an average pitcher who will help stabilize the rotation. I think that actually one one big thing that, that he could improve on is more or less ditching his slider. So this is actually an interesting thing. Um, again, going in a little bit deeper with, with uh, pitch mixes and pitch sequencing. But usually four-seam fastballs and curveballs go well together because they start on the same plane. If you can picture it, four-seam fastball is pretty straight curveball usually starts more towards the top of the zone and then it drops off more vertically. Um, sinkers will go straight and then kind of veer off more towards, if you're righty, more towards the, the right. And sliders will be on that same plane and usually both those will be lower in the strike zone and then it'll veer off to the left. So usually sinkers and sliders go together, four seamers and curveballs. It's interesting because Hauser's, I would say Hauser's two best pitches are his his sinker or his two-seam fastball and his curveball. Um, his four-seamer is fine, but it's it's not great. His his slider he's not had much success with, and I would venture to guess that the Brewers have been trying to see if that slider can work out well since his sinker is his most commonly used pitch. But actually, I think that, that Hauser can make it work. We've seen that with, I know Lance McCullers is one example. He's really mostly a two-pitch pitcher. He has a little bit of a changeup that he throws in there, but he's a two-seamer and curveball guy. He's been very successful. Um, there are other examples. I won't go through all of them, but um, there are there are guys who have had success with that. And I think that Hauser can kind of follow that route. I don't think he necessarily has to stick to the more common script. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that there is still a lot of potential for Hauser, and I, I highly doubt the Brewers are, are are completely done with him after a sore year, like we've talked about so many times with 2020 being. A unique season. I don't think the Brewers or other teams, frankly, are taking too much stock in the performance, especially for a guy like Hauser. And, and you mentioned the Brewers hoping for Hauser to be an average starter. Do you see him as the Brewers' third best option out of the rotation next year? I would probably say that Lindblom is actually a better option than him. Um, if I were if I were the, the management, if I were looking at who to possibly bring in in the rotation. Of course, Woodruff and Burns have spots locked up at the at the front of the rotation, and then I would I would really kind of pencil in Josh Lindblom in there, and I would pencil in Hauser even in there, um, and you have Eric Lauer too. Uh, he's a guy who is 
I think that has the upside to be a, at least an average starter also. Yeah, and Lauer's also a lefty who the Brewers historically over the last 10, 15 years haven't had a lot of. And you mentioned just four right-handers right there who are likely the one through four candidates or locks. Uh, so I do like the Brewers considering Lauer for that fifth spot just to add in a left-hander in that rotation. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, one thing, though, that I would say is I think that the Brewers should bring in another starting pitcher. They can kind of shuffle maybe some of those guys in between the bullpen a little bit, uh, like Hauser if he doesn't perform as well, like Eric Lauer. Um, and I would like them to see uh, to bring in a left-handed pitcher. I think that a left-handed pitcher would complement a little bit better. Um, maybe a guy like uh, Rich Hill would be an option. He is 41 years old, um, so he is getting up there. Jay Happ, also another older, experienced option. I think, actually, uh, Drew Smiley, he seems like a very Brewers-type option, as does Wade LeBlanc. Uh, I, you know, I don't I don't see the Brewers going out and getting a Marcus Stroman or even a Masahiro Tanaka type uh, who are out on the market. I would see them more going for one of the, the lighter tossing lefties who will keep the ball on the ground, maybe go five innings if, if we're lucky. And I could even see a guy like Wade LeBlanc or Drew Smiley succeeding in a Brent Suter type role um, if they need if they need them to be in that role. Or maybe even piggybacking one of them off Lynn Bloom or Hauser uh, combined with Lauer in some sort of combination. We've seen the Brewers do that a little bit. And one guy actually that I would have um, potentially liked to see the Brewers bring in was Robbie Ray. But he actually was just taken off the market, signed a one-year $8 million deal with the Blue Jays. So that is one potential option that is no longer an option as he is off the market. Uh, but I would like to see the Brewers bring in at least one starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, even if you just take a look at the 40-man roster and you look at the, the, the arms the Brewers do have on there, we really just mentioned them right there. Woodruff, Burns, Hauser, Lindblom, Lauer, five starters. And the rest of those guys are slated to be in the bullpen. Um, of course, Brent Suter being one of those swing guys, Freddie Peralta as well. But they're going to be in the bullpen and... For the Brewers to, for any team, um, to expect to go into the season with with five starting pitchers at the major league level, and for that to last even for a couple months, um, is ridiculous. And, and I don't think that they have the arms coming up that they can, um, they don't have the luxury um, to avoid signing some arms in free agency. So I totally agree that they do need to add somebody, but I don't see the Brewers, like you said, making a big splash or spending a lot of money, especially given the financial year that every team had in 2020. Mm -hmm. And two actually guys that we are more familiar with that they, they could choose to bring in. One would be Gio Gonzalez. He didn't have very much success with the White Sox. Uh, we saw that he was with the Brewers for a little bit, left briefly, came back, left again. I actually could see that happening where he comes back. Mm -hmm. um, he, he, had, he had a reasonable amount of success with the Brewers, uh, you know, kind of four or five, as we always say, four or five innings, <laughs> right. two runs. Um, he's kind of that kind of guy. Or even a guy maybe on a minor league deal with a pretty incentive-laden contract, Jimmy Nelson. Huh, that would be an interesting That'd be one. interesting. Yeah. He, he seemed insistent that his shoulder felt good. He had back surgery, though. Uh, so I think he's also a guy where uh, the more time goes on and the more he works uh, to get that shoulder back is going to help him. Um, build up that strength he is he's 32 years old so he's you know he was 29 when he suffered that injury yeah. but we're not talking about him as if he's he's not 38 he's not 39 something like that uh, so he would be another option 
more so as depth, I would say. I, I don't know if I'd want to slot him in as a rotation member. Yeah. yeah, no, I would totally agree with that. And you floated the idea of Corey Kluber, whether or not the Brewers would be willing to spend on a guy like Kluber. Would that be, if the Brewers were open to considering it, would you be happy with the move uh, with the Brewers bringing Kluber on, on potentially also an incentive-laden deal? I, I would be very, very satisfied. Normally in this situation, I would say for the right price, but the Brewers aren't going to pay too much for a, a free agent starting pitcher at this point. Uh, I don't think that we would see a repeat of Matt Garza or mm-hmm. Kyle Loesch. Mm-hmm. Although Loesch was actually fine. Supon, I guess, being more of the main right. one. Um, but I would be in favor of a guy like Kluber than bringing him in. I think that, that 2020 was a little bit more of an anomaly. He was hurt a little bit in 2019, and that will affect his free agent stock. I think even though he's getting up there in age, he's looking for probably a one-year deal, and then maybe he'll look to try to get like one last two, three-year contract. Um, in a, a, overall, a very good career, two-time mm-hmm. Cy Young Award winner, and that's something that you can't really get. I mean, John Lester maybe is uh, the next guy where you, right. Jake Arrieta. These are some of the veterans that you'll see. Uh, but I think Kluber would maybe be a better option than either of those guys for the Brewers, given their situation. Yeah, there certainly are a lot of veteran arms in the market. You mentioned Arietta, uh, Cole Hamels as well. Just a lot of veteran arms to choose from. And that's not a bad thing for the Brewers. Generally have a younger rotation, a little bit less experience. So it wouldn't be I wouldn't be opposed to them bringing in a veteran arm. Um, it really can't hurt a, a young rotation that they do have as well. So... Speaking of younger arms, uh, taking a look at some of the Brewers players that need to they need to add to the 40-man roster. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Just give some background for those that aren't familiar with this process in the mm-hmm. offseason. There is an event called the Rule 5 Draft that takes place every December. And it's designed to prevent teams from like stockpiling their minor league systems. Uh, so if they have tons of good prospects, um, you have to add them to the major league roster at some point. Otherwise, teams can select them. If you do select them, you have to pay a fee. I forget. It's I think it's a hundred thousand um, dollars. And uh, if you do, then you receive the player, but you have to keep him on your active roster for the whole year. And if you don't, then he gets returned to the team before that had him. So Brewers fans, you may remember the Brewers selecting Wei Chung Wang, uh, the left-handed reliever who spent. Was it the whole? Did he spend the? He spent the whole year, right? Yeah, he was. He year. was on the DL for a little that's bit. That's right. With, he was like like a two-month shoulder <laughs> tightness stint. That's right. That's right. But but Wei Chung Wang was an example of that. Brewers were not very good. Uh, saw a potential left-handed prospect, took him in the Rule Five, and were required to keep him on the roster. And so he really didn't get a lot of. Uh, spots in the game because he wasn't he wasn't major league ready, but the Brewers had to put him there um, and chose to do so. Of course, he didn't actually turn out uh, really, but uh, we have seen some Rule Five draft players who have turned out. Maybe do you have any off the top of your head? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, David, but any notable um, Rule Five draftees that turned out to be halfway decent players? Um, this was back when the rules were a little bit different, but a guy named Roberto Clemente. Um, he had a pretty good career. Bob Bob Clemente. Yeah, yeah, as Tops uh, insisted on. Yeah. Um, he, he That was a little bit different, so it was based on the signing bonus, and right. there was less, because players would go, come up to the majors a little bit quicker. Um, but since they, they changed the rules in 1990 to more of the modern format, Johan Santana's been the best guy. Um, he was selected by the Marlins from the Astros, and then the Marlins traded him to the Twins, actually, um, that day. Of course, he ended up becoming one of the best pitchers of his era, I would say. Dan Ogla is another guy. Um, what happened, a former brewer, Frank Catalanato, actually was selected by the A's 
Um, he was returned back to the Tigers, but he had a, a decent career. Um, so those would be some of the, the guys. Graham Lloyd, actually, was traded to the Brewers as a Rule 5 pick. Um, he's a Brewer guy. And even um, Derek Turnbow, uh, another former Brewer, or Miguel Diaz was a guy who was selected from the Brewers uh, fairly recently. And actually another notable one was Josh Hamilton. He was actually selected uh, from the Rule 5 uh, by the uh, Cubs and then trading, traded him to the Reds for cash. Um, so that's also a, mm-hmm. a notable Rule 5 Hamilton yeah. coming from the, the, the Devil Rays at the time. Mm-hmm. And I would say actually probably the best uh, career of anyone was Colin Walsh. He Certainly. was a Brewers Rule 5 selection. Um, career 317 on base percentage. Uh, so that that is pretty good. Um, Bill Mazeroski, he's in the Hall of Fame, and he has a 299 career on base percentage. Colin Walsh, 317. Um, so uh, he's he's got to be up there. <laughs> a good stint in 2016, I think it was. But can he get on um, base? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, so players have to have accrued, depending on when they were signed, either four or five years of service time in the minor leagues um, before they're eligible to be selected in the Rule 5 draft. Um, the most recent guy, I believe, who was selected from the Brewers was Miguel Diaz. Um, the Brewers actually selected uh, Marlins left-handed starting pitcher Caleb Smith uh, from the Yankees before trading him to the Cubs. Um Basically, then he was returned to the Yankees. Yankees traded him to the Marlins in a deal that included Garrett Cooper. He's actually a solid starting pitcher now. Um, But I think he was the last guy that the Brewers selected, Wei Chung Wong, like you mentioned. Um, But looking at some of the guys that they need to add, um, if you look at the guys on their MLB Pipeline top 30 prospects, um, there are a number of them who are eligible, but it's not the first time that they're eligible. So that would be like Zach Brown. Um, Brown was eligible. Uh, they chose to leave him unprotected, and he was not selected. Um, Trey Shupak, they had him protected, although he actually became a free agent. Um, so he is no longer eligible for the Rule 5 draft. Um, Lucas Urseg was another guy who was left unprotected. So I would not imagine that they would decide to protect either Brown or Urseg. Mario Feliciano is a catcher who I think that they will choose to protect, and one of the better prospects in the organization. Um, and kind of, yeah, interesting, intriguing prospect. Yeah, you mentioned Feliciano, a catcher. The Brewers are in an interesting spot. A lot of uncertainty with that position. Of course, we talked about Narvaez's rough 2020, Pena coming back, Nottingham coming onto the scene and being halfway decent. So there, there is, I don't know, if I, it's hard to call it a log jam because <laughs> there's not exactly like <laughs> great options there. Pena's not bad, um, but... It, it is interesting to see what the Brewers will decide with Feliciano and with those other catchers as well. Maybe they like mm-hmm. Feliciano enough to, to trade away or part ways with one of those other three guys as well to give Feliciano a better chance at getting some playing time next year. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that they would choose to retain David Freitas. Freitas has been on the 40-man for, I think, about a year and a half. Um, he got one plate appearance in the wild card series against the Dodgers. Um he that was his first appearance of the year i think he was like a third or fourth catcher last september so he's a guy who's been on the 40-man roster i can't imagine that they would choose to retain him given the situation and also peyton henry is a guy who's uh eligible for the rule five draft he's improved significantly since they drafted him a few years ago i think that he's a guy that they'll protect Um, If they do choose to add both of those guys to the 40-man roster, we're looking at five catchers, which is extremely Mm -hmm. rare. You'd have to imagine that they would uh, look to trade 
one of their guys, I would think Nottingham or Pena would be the guy, one of the guys that end up being kind of the odd man out. Um, I think that if they're unable to swing a trade, though, uh, they will go into camp with all, all five of them. And Henry and Feliciano will be able to go back to the minor leagues. I That's something I'm pretty confident will happen. But it is interesting to see um, since Nottingham cannot, not, Nottingham cannot be sent down next year. Uh, so we will have to see some move happen or three catchers on the major league roster plus two more on the 40 man. Yeah, certainly will be interesting. Uh, interesting to see what Stearns and the Brewers decide at the catcher position. Uh, I'm assuming you mentioned uh, Ursag and Brown likely going unprotected. Is that safe to say that the Brewers would then also choose for Alec Bettinger, their 25th prospect, and Dylan File, their 26th prospect, to also go unprotected? Those two are kind of interesting cases. They both, I would say, they both have pretty good stuff. Um, more profile as relief pitchers. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. They're kind of on the fence. We've seen the Brewers more lean towards leaving guys unprotected in this scenario, but um, yeah. it's certainly possible. Um, I would be surprised if they kept a guy like Jace Peterson on the 40-man roster. I think that um, they'll probably part ways with him. Another guy that they could end up parting ways with actually is Ben Gamble. I think that they would keep him, um, but it's possible that they'll choose to go with save about a million dollars by keeping uh, Tyrone Taylor, mm -hmm. Corey Ray, or Billy McKinney as one of their, their last yeah. guys. And McKinney's even a guy who might not be there come spring training. So uh, a lot of a lot of decisions. Uh, those decisions have to be made um, by around the beginning of December. Uh, so we will, we will find those out in relatively short order. A, a little bit lower profile for the offseason, but uh, still kind of interesting, especially for people who are really into prospects and some of the young guys that could come up and help the Brewers even as early as next year. Yeah, certainly some of those guys already sitting in AAA. It'll be interesting to see. Some of those guys could be making impact, I think, back to Devin Williams, a guy who just flew onto the scene last year. Of course, don't expect any of those guys to do what Williams did, but you know, you never know. Some of those guys can fly under the radar and, and come mm -hmm. up and make an impact. So we'll have yeah, to see. Yeah, I believe Williams was left unprotected. Uh, in the Rule 5 draft. Um, that would have been in the 2018-19 offseason. Uh, he did then debuted last year when he kind of took off in the minor leagues. So even if even if a guy like Bettinger or File is not added, they could potentially make a big impact uh, down the road. Moving towards our next segment, I, I am now realizing that we, or not we, I omitted the trivia question from the start of our podcast. So before we move on to the next segment, let me just throw this in here, give you a little time to think here. I've got a more recent trivia question. Which of the following seasons for Josh Hader, not which of the following, which of Josh Hader's seasons with the Brewers uh, was his highest uh, F4 season? So be that 2017, 2018, 2019, or 2020. <laughs> um, but ponder on that one. Um, hint, there, you should really be thinking about two years there for Hader. Uh, but which is which of uh, Josh Hader's years with the Brewers has highest F4? So as always, answer will be given at the end of the podcast so stay tuned for that and think about that as we finish up on our podcast moving on to our segment on the election a very brief one and just a fun one of course the election going on as everyone knows joe biden uh being elected as the u.s's next president um david has a, a very fun fact to share related to joe biden so i'll, I'll let you do the honors yeah so donald trump was um the oldest president to be inaugurated at 70 years old however come january joe biden will be 78 
so he will shatter that record. And I was looking back at uh, the Brewers, some of the old Brewer players, on the 1970 Brewers roster, so that would have been 50 years ago, the first um, Brewers roster uh, that they had, not including the Seattle Pilots. 15 members of that team uh, are or were younger than President-elect Joe Biden. Um, so Joe Biden, we've seen him in uh, public office for almost 50 years, but it still is kind of staggering that 50 years ago, um, the Brewers took the field for the first time, and 15 members of them were younger than Joe Biden, who um, will now be one of possibly the most important and most powerful man in the world at such an old age. Yeah, certainly interesting. Uh, Biden breaking the record that Trump had, like you said, uh, Trump at 70 being inaugurated. He's, uh, Biden's even older than, uh, of course, Barack Obama, as well as George W. Bush, so the last couple of presidents as well. Um, Biden's still older than them. Yeah, even Bill at. Clinton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. he was yeah. so what are, what are your thoughts on uh, who did who did you want? <laughs> So moving on. Yeah, to, maybe no. drop in the comment in the comments. So we can, <laughs> yeah, we can start. Yeah, that's it. one way to get. That's one way to get some comments, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody, that's a good. Those are that's a very wholesome discussions in the in the social media comments, right? Anyways, mm -hmm. well, while we're on the topic, we got to make our, our pick for who what, what brewer do you think, David? Putting on the spot here, what brewer do you would would you say would uh, be the best president of the United States? Among the current guys, uh, I think that Brent Suter is kind of the obvious choice. He's a Harvard grad, um, and it's it's almost as common to become president out of Harvard as it is to make the major leagues. Yeah, um, maybe not quite as much as it is like in the NBA. Right. Um, but he has he's he's very committed to um, bettering our country. I know he's very he's very invested in environment, uh, and he did actually have an, does have an environmental science degree from Harvard. Very well educated guy, very likable, um, very serious, far more right. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, far more likable, of course, than um, any of the recent candidates that we've seen. But um, but Brent Suter, I think, is kind of the obvious choice uh, for who who I would want to be president among guys on the current Brewers roster. Yeah, the guy that came to mind for me was, uh, as far as likability goes, uh, you think politics. I, I had to think of Lorenzo Cain and Lorenzo Cain's mm. big, big smile that he's got. I, I could just mm -hmm. picture Lorenzo Cain, just a really likable guy. He does seem like a clubhouse leader as well. Uh, so I, I thought of Kane. I also thought back to uh, Jason Kendall. Of course, got to got to love the catcher mm. position. So I could see Kendall holding that as well, um, or or potentially Ryan Braun with with the blemish background. Uh, we're going into <laughs> politics. Uh, he, yeah. he, every every politician's got some blemish on their record. So Ryan Braun could be in there too as well. So one of those guys, Kane, uh, Jason Kendall, or, or Ryan Braun for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, unfortunately. Brent Suter is not eligible to run for president yet, um, and he would not. He will be eligible in the next presidential election cycle. So maybe we're, we're going to see Brent Suter retirement in about <laughs> early, maybe after the 2023 season, and then we'll see his name pop up, and maybe we'll see a. I don't know which party he'd run for. Maybe as an independent. Yeah. Um, and we'd see a three-way race between. Um, Whoever whoever may run on the Republican side, um, either Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, and Brent Suter. I think that I think it'd be pretty contested, and uh, I mean better than Kanye. At That's least. true, and he 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 would have better impersonate. He could probably impersonate the, the other candidates. Yeah, too. yeah. We gotta make yeah. sure we, we we gotta make sure we we tag Brent Suter on, on this latest episode. Uh, make sure that we we let Suter know that we are rooting for him to run for president uh, next term. So certainly good stuff. Uh, 
So before we close out today, David, who's your random player of the day today? Today's player of the day is Eric Sogard. Uh, we, we've seen him in a, a couple separate stints with the Brewers, including just this year. Um, kind of had an interesting career. He was actually drafted out of Arizona State by the Padres in the second round. Um, he was there for a couple years in their organization before being traded along with Kevin Kuzminoff uh, in exchange for Scott Hairston and Aaron Cunningham. Um, played pretty well in the minor leagues and ended up debuting in 2011 for Oakland. Um, his biggest claim to fame in Oakland was that he finished second in the face of MLB contest on MLB Network. Some of you might remember that, of course, clearly not the face of MLB, but kind of a fan favorite. Um, nerd power, that's kind of where the name took off. Um, and after after his stint with the A's ended is when he came to the Brewers for the first time in 2017 and 18. 17 being pretty good, 18, not so great. Career year last year um, and came back this year where his main highlight was the two-run shot against the Pirates um, after that kind of ugly game where Hayter blew the save poorly. And just a fun fact about Eric Sogard, actually a couple, um, his younger brother is actually, is the head baseball coach at Wright State University, um, an Ohio Division I school. His cousin Nick Sogard is actually in the Tampa Bay Rays farm system. And he and his wife have five kids, which is uh, pretty rare for a baseball player. I think that two of them are adopted, actually. Um, so uh, Eric Sogard, uh, kind of an interesting career. Likeable guy, even though he may not have had a very good year. Um, and, and kind of an interesting person. Um, and random, I'd say. Certainly. You mentioned Sogard with the face of MLB uh, competition. And just dusting up on that, which was a couple years ago, Sogard faced off Batista. I believe it was the semifinals. And Batista went off on Twitter, like, following a ton of people. And, like, he was lobbying really hard to try to beat Sogard. Ended up actually losing to, to Eric Sogard, who was a 241 <laughs> career hitter. Batista, of course, <laughs> That's funny. was one of the best bats in baseball at the time. Um, and, and who ultimately won the won the competition again? Remind me. David Wright actually beat That's right. um, Eric Sogard. Uh, so... Um, yeah, kind of interesting. Jose Bautista actually follows me on Twitter. Um, I don't know if he followed me on Twitter then or maybe a little bit later. Yeah, he's kind of always done that. I'm not really yeah, sure. Yeah, on my personal account, I just have such great content. Sure. Uh, I'm definitely. sure Jose Bautista is seeing all my tweets. Uh, of course. But um, but Eric Selgard was able to get to the finals um, before ultimately falling to David Wright, unfortunately. That's right. Wright, of course, being a fan favorite and MLB favorite. Uh, Mr. What was it? Captain America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's actually an autobiography that just came out, um, released by him. So I'm actually, oh, interesting. I, I hope to read it at some point soon. Kind of interesting now that his career has wrapped up and uh, an outstanding career and seemed like a, a great guy. Yeah, definitely seemed like it. So moving towards trivia question of the day, Josh Hader, what was his best year as the Brewers according to F4? David, what year do you have? 2018 is my guess. That is actually correct. 2018, Josh Hader with 2.6 F war, uh, his second best year coming in 2019 with 2.3 war. Uh, in 2018, Hader was outstanding across 55 games, striking out 15.82 per nine, uh, which actually was lower than 2019 where he struck out 16.41. Uh, but Hader, of course, who's he's been a mainstay in the Brewers bullpen for now a couple of years and, and been the guy the Brewers have turned to. Outstanding 2018, outstanding 2019, both NL reliever of the years in those two years. Um, and hopefully we'll see what uh, Josh Hader's future holds with the Brewers. But, of course, uh, been Brewers top bullpen arm over the last couple of years. So just to recap things, Adrian Hauser, uh, interesting story for 2021. We'll see 
what the Brewers can get out of Hauser. Uh, if he can maintain that number three spot in the rotation, Brewers certainly hope so. And then, just like we mentioned earlier, just covering some of the Rule 5 draft players that the Brewers will need to protect if they want to make sure that they are able to keep them. Uh, interesting situation at the catcher's position, whether or not the Brewers choose to keep five backstops on the roster. We shall see. Uh, again, that'll be in December. Uh, and then covering just some election fun and our trivia of the day. So as we sign off, as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We'd appreciate if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Make sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Brewers Podcast.